Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week, I interview Eric Quidwinas Wildforce from Dance. When I first heard that the founders of SoundCloud had got into electric bikes, I got to admit, I was a little bit confused. How does the world of software parallel across to the world of hardware and electric bikes? But Eric convinced me on this conversation, and it was a great one about the nature of how the industry has changed over time and how the business model of micromobility parallels to a lot of other subscription internet businesses. He also happened to have got into this for environmental reasons and about how to produce and provide cost-effective low emissions vehicles, much the same as I did. So I was very excited and we had a really fun conversation and I really hope that you enjoy it. I have high hopes for dance and the subscription business that they're building in this highly explosive and fast growing industry. And with that, here is Eric. Let's go. Welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today, uh, Eric Quidwinas Wildforce. Did I get that right? I think so, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. It's yeah. Pretty good. I mean, it's a definite tongue twister, but I, I love it. Who is the founder and CEO of Dance, who is a company that I've been very excited to cover on the podcast for a while. And how are you today, Eric? I'm good. It's early in the morning here in Berlin. We have our little morning routine. You know, my wife, my 18-month-old baby boy, running around the apartment and both are massively sick. Like they have colds and they're just coughing and, you know, oh, and I've no. been, I, that was actually my biggest worry ahead of this interview was that I would wake up, you know, with like a massive cold this morning, but I'm, I'm good so far. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope they get better soon. So for more context, so you are in Berlin, you know, there's a lot of really cool micromobility companies that have emerged out of there, but I really want to take the time to kind of unpack a little bit the history for you about how you even came to this space, because I remember when you first started raising money and people were, you know, dance was announced and everything. It was like, oh, wow, one of the early people at SoundCloud has been out and got themselves into e-bikes. And I thought that was quite a, you know, there's been people in tech who have come to micromobility from a whole range of different areas, from mobile computing and other things as well. So I'm just kind of curious for you, like, what was the story for, for you in terms of getting into micromobility and, and starting dance. Yeah. My story, I mean, is, is really, I've been doing internet stuff for a long time, right? So I built my, my first website in, in 95. And then, you know, from there, it was sort of building small websites, then it became more sort of platforms. I built like a crowdfunding community in the early 2000s for a couple of years. And then I started, I did a lot of music sort of also there around those times. And then I forget exactly how it was. I was in Berlin in 2001. I was sort of part of the very early startup sort of ecosystem here. So I worked at a startup. Mm. And then eventually, long story short, went back to Stockholm studying engineering. And there I met my, my co-founder, Alex, uh, for SoundCloud. So we, we then decided to start SoundCloud. Uh, we were both in music, we were both, you know, very keen on, on building something on the internet. We did that for about 12 years. So I, I stepped down after 12 years. Alex stepped down a little bit before that, became the chairman of the board. I sort of onboarded our, our new CEO. And after two years of that, I was like, I'm ready for something new. And I had been looking at the climate 
tech and climate impact space for a number of years already. And I had switched my sort of personal investing activities over to actually things like electromobility as well and micromobility. So I then stepped down and I had a sabbatical in 2019 um, and I spent time sort of in, in the Bay Area and traveling a little bit, met sort of tons of people and explored a bunch, right? I mean, I was supposed to have a sort of relaxed sabbatical, but I was really just running around turning stones and looking for, for the next thing. And I looked pretty broadly to start and my angle was climate impact, right? So I just wanted to find a way how me as an entrepreneur with my background and my skills, let's say, could have sort of max, max impact on that. And that took me to on an interesting journey. I was looking, you know, at some software angle, some of my you know, subscription internet stuff and company building generally and, and sort of brand building. How could I have impact? And so long story short, again, that took me to micromobility towards the end of that sabbatical. It was actually, I was at a design symposium in Stockholm. It turned out to be very boring. So I, I left that. A friend texted me, which went for a long walk. We talked about owning versus renting things. And then my friend mm-hmm. at some point turns around and said, e-bikes are really happening right now. And one should really be renting those things, not owning them. And then mm-hmm. and that idea really stuck with me. And I went on this exploration for a couple of weeks. My friend actually sort of bailed out of it. or I mean, he, he also thought it was an interesting idea, but he was up to something else. So I was sort of on my own there for a while. And then a mutual friend connected me to Christian Springub, who became then a co-founder at Dance. And then the, the three of us, so Alex, my co-founder at, at SoundCloud, the three of us teamed up and we went on this deep exploration for a number of months. We talked to, I don't know, hundreds of people in, in bikes and, you know, and, and micromobility and decided to go for it early 2020. And as we had just decided to sort of say, okay, let's go. Then we started hearing about this little virus, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I've not heard of this. What are, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, <laughs> no. And then, you know, we yeah. were like, oh, wait, what is this now? And that was just very interesting. And of course, it turned into the biggest bike boom that we've ever seen. So it's been actually very good for us in mm-hmm. balance. But, but that's how dance started. Yeah, amazing. Just out of curiosity, did you hear about the micromobility conference in Berlin? Or did that come after you were kind of in- interested in this? Yeah. Were you able to be there? The funny thing is that just days after this before, I think it was, I heard that, oh yeah, there's this micromobility conference in, in Berlin. But that was, I think it was just before the original idea sort of happened right at that long walk in Stockholm so so I missed it yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but I was really bummed about oh, that cool. in hindsight yeah 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 oh it's all right well we'll be doing another one we hopefully will have news to announce there soon and then we will definitely have you up on stage to show off your wares in our pitch kutra sessions well look that's really cool and so talk to me through I mean by the way, I love the background and the fact that you were interested and came to this from climate because that was actually how I ended up in this space as well, was looking at what's the most disruptive method for being able to move people around in a city and coming from a background at Uber where we were disrupting car ownership, but it was still using cars and the vehicles themselves were still, you know, it was very hard to shift out those vehicles. And then what was the thing that really drove down the cost per kilometer for people to be able to get around and drove down the cost of the vehicle? Awesome. Love to hear that there were others obviously thinking in that way as well. So take me through it. So you've got the bike, which we can talk to in a second, but you're, I actually think the, one of the more interesting things is like you say, you people don't want to own these things or they shouldn't own these things. And you've gone for a rental business model. 
So can you talk me through how you've thought about that, like what the business model is, how a customer would access it, and what that enables for you guys on that on the other side? Definitely. So I think, you know, like the thing that appealed to us originally with this whole idea is sort of the execution of it. It's really the how of how do you how do you do something like this, right? And we as I would say technology, sort of design minded, product driven entrepreneurs, right? Like I used to run all of the product stuff at, at SoundCloud. So I've been, you know, obsessing about product for, for a long time. And I thought we when when we looked at the space and when we sort of explored, we realized that this is, is not a bike. It's not a bike company, right? And it's not a software company. We're not gonna get like this off-the-shelf bikes. Like we looked everywhere. Like there is nothing that you can use that fits this model really well. Because the thing about this model is it's it's not an owned bike, right? Like it's not a shared bike. So it's somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. We use a lot of the tech stuff that's been going on in sharing and we integrate that into a vehicle that looks like, you know, looks kind of like a regular bike, but you know, we'll get into it, but it has a bunch of other sort of design considerations and constraints, right? So this is really about the combination of hardware, software, and then amazing sort of operations and customer service, right? So the idea is simple. You get your own bike. And so it's like you're owning your bike but if it breaks or if it gets stolen, if something happens, you essentially push a button and then the bike sort of respawns, right? Like it just reappears. So, yeah. so it's like streaming a bike. So it actually has a bunch of analogies with the stuff that you know I've been working on with you know, consumer subscriptions before and Christian as well. So he's also done sort of software and, and subscription before. So the subscription piece is, is key. And that of course then has a bunch of effects, right? Like all of a sudden you're not selling something, but you actually have this ongoing customer relationship that goes on for you know for years and it's about you know maintaining that and maintaining the bar sort of at, at a certain level for many years potentially when you say it respawns can you what does that mean well it means that within 24 hours but usually much faster than that we basically repair or replace the bike for you and you as a customer you essentially have a very slick customer experience and we have a smart lock on the bike we know everything about the bike so we can come out and then either we replace the bike right away or we repair it on the spot and that's how how it works and so there is a you know this is a city by city model so we have you know we have a warehouse we have a workshop in the city we have logistics in the city so everything is sort of transparent to the person so when if you want to subscribe to dance you essentially get get the app you sign up and then you say, I want my bike here. The bike will appear. Mm -hmm. You can use it you know, within hours or days and then you can yeah. use it for as long as you want. And if you don't want it anymore, you just you know, push a button and say, I'm, I'm leaving the subscription and then that's it. We, we figure out the rest. Yeah, amazing. And so do you have one standard model of bike? Is it one across the entire range? Yeah, so what we realized was, so we did early on, one of the first things we did was talk to a ton of different bike manufacturers and brands. And we bought like a couple of hundred bikes from different, with slightly different form factors, did a ton of testing. We got up and running with the pilot, kind of like just a few months into, you know, building the company. So we've had hundreds of people in a pilot over the course of a year and we've been refining software operations and everything so we've been running kind of like a mini version of what the what the service is all the way up to our launch and so our, our relaunch was just a couple of weeks ago here in berlin and this is our first mm -hmm. city and in parallel to all of that we built our own bike right so we tried to incorporate as much as feedback 
much feedback as possible from those sort of field learnings, let's say, and then, mm -hmm. you know, try and figure out as much of the design constraints as possible, but also try and build the bike as fast as possible, right? Because we are, you know, we come from software, we, we know that iteration is key, right? Like you kind of, we didn't want to sit in a basement for three years and then sort of come out with something. We rather yeah. want to build an iteration. So we have one bike and it's, you know, it's tailored for, for what we need. And it's what I described as somewhere in between sharing and, and owned. So yeah. It looks great. It rides great. It's not at all about sort of the components of the bike or anything like this. It's about the bike as this is a bike that works. So, you know, we yes. don't obsess about, you know, is it Shimano brakes? Is it a Bosch e-system or something else, right? Like it just works and it rides amazingly well. It's, you know, completely quiet, has a ton of torque. It's, you know, very smooth in general, super easy to use. So we've tried to just distill as far as the user experience, just make it very simple and straightforward. Awesome. And so you've launched obviously in Berlin and that's your first city that you base yourself out of. But I take it there are plans to expand and are you looking predominantly only at Germany at this stage? We have global ambitions, right? So like what, what we saw, I mean, I think before the pandemic, I mean, of course, the whole world has this sort of climate imperative, right? Like this is fundamentally an impact company, right? We want to transform cities. We want cities to be much more livable, micromobility friendly, we think more people should be riding bikes, right? Versus, you know, versus mm -hmm. cars. So we think that shift is sort of completely essential for, for the world. And what's interesting now, of course, with the pandemic is that we saw the acceleration of that shift in many different cities, right? So look at Paris, right? Like if you went there two years ago, it's like, it's like a different city, right? Like you basically now have yeah. a ton of bikes and stuff. And that, that transformation happened quickly. And so we know that that's possible. So. It's what we need to do. We can't just shift all the cars to electric, right? We have to also shift to smaller and other means of transportation. And so that's what this company is about fundamentally. And it's a global thing, right? Like this has happened now in multiple cities. And of course, they're like, there may be other form factors that might work better in other geographies, right? And we, you know, we see ourselves as potentially a platform company. So, you know, this could take various shapes, you know, in different places, but but we think this is, you know, this could happen in many countries, many cities across the world. How much is it currently for someone to get a subscription to the bike in Berlin? It's 79 euros per month. That, that's like comparable to every other, like I've seen a couple of other competitors in that space as well. So like, like Swap Fiat, for example, I know has just gone a little, well, they've, they've added electric. I don't know if they're in Berlin yet. I know that they were certainly just starting to ramp up electric in, in the Netherlands when I talked to them nine months ago or something like that so yeah i mean i think the thing about subscription is it's it's such a nascent space right like it's sort of sharing exploded and i love everything that's going on in sharing i mean i think that's an amazing kind of development and i've been a huge fan of all those services in berlin like i've been riding around all those things but i still had my bike right all along and i basically felt a lot of times it was just more convenient to to use the bike right and then the subscription part of it, that pillar, I think is going to be hugely meaningful next to ownership and shared. I mean, owned is still the vast majority of all activity and all the bikes out there, right? Like everything is, most mm -hmm. stuff is still owned. Subscription is, at the moment, is still tiny, but I think there's some early validation basically in the market that this is going to be millions, millions of customers in the future. And I mean, we have a whole generation that sort of subscription everything, right? That don't, don't want to own. I mean, it also solves a really big problem that we see in micromobility as well, which is namely, you know, you buy one of these vehicles and 
it's really challenging to get them serviced. You know, like you can buy, because there are so many different manufacturers, there's just a huge proliferation of manufacturers because it's relatively easy, the vehicles are modular, but then they become really challenging to service as a result because they all have modular frameworks and not everybody knows how to service them. And you take them into a bike shop and they're like, oh, it's an e-bike, I'm not going to touch this thing. So I can see that there's a real need to be served there. And that's certainly where I can see the subscription model really taking off. And we can see elsewhere in the industry as well. So like Unagi, for example, is a huge percentage of their scooters that they sell in the US on their subscription model rather than necessarily on the selling the vehicle itself. So yeah, super exciting. Yeah, and I mean, there are, there are nuances, right? Like some people might say, oh yeah, that's like leasing, right? But there's like, yeah, leasing is, mm. you know, you lock in for three years, you have a bunch of paperwork and then if the bike, you know, breaks, it's like you're kind of on your own. You go to some dealership, you have that experience that you mentioned. I mean, in Berlin, you know, the experience when it's like high season, you go into a bike shop and they put your name on a piece of paper and they're like, oh yeah, we'll call you in a few weeks. It's like, you know, it's, yeah, it's awful, right? Uh, right like, yeah. so. That's the kind of customer experience you then have when you then bought this thing that costs, you know, an e-bike is like average is 3000 euros. So it's an expensive thing, right? And the ownership experience is, is not great, as you said. Yeah. And how does that work out for the unit economics for you? Because I mean, obviously 80 euros a month, it's like 960 a year. You know, as you say, the vehicle itself is probably about $3,000. That's obviously retail price. You're probably going to get it cheaper if you're building a, buying a house and all that sort of stuff. But are you able to get... Like, do you have any sort of indication, I guess you're relatively early in that journey of what, how long someone will hold on to a subscription for or how long the bike itself will last, especially if you're going to be iterating, you're going to do version one or version two or version three, that sort of thing. Any thoughts or feedback on how that's going or how you think that's going to go? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I can't, you know, speak to the specifics of that. And it's really, <laughs> it's really a lot of it is because it's so early that it's hard for us to, to tell, right? Like, how will this work in the long run? I mean, I think... Mm. The early indications we have are great, right? So that, that I will say that, and we just have a couple of hundred customers. The early retention is, is exceptionally good. So that is good, you know, compared to any whatever internet or software thing, like it's kind of a, the numbers look amazing, but that's, it's of course too early to tell. And I mean, on the unit economics, I can't speak to that really more than that. It looks very healthy in our models, right? So, and we've done a ton of comps, right? Like with other micromobility companies and, you know, we've talked to we've hired a ton of people from from the industry so we have vetted all of those things pretty well so i think it looks good i mean the price point is kind of a premium we like to call it mass premium price point right so it's sort of accessible but not not like super cheap right so it's somewhere yeah. it's somewhere in that spot and of course that might also change in the future but but this is where we are yeah this is where what we set out to do yeah I mean, it's also one of those things of like two, something, two euros something a day, right? On a monthly basis, it's really, it, re it works out super affordable if you go, you know, that's going to be your predominant form of transport in yeah. somewhere like Berlin. Yeah, I mean, I think people will kind of like do the math, right? And, and some people, unfortunately, I think they forget sort of the amount of pain and, well, money and time investment that, you know, is connected to actually owning a bicycle so some people are i'm sure are going to underestimate that and sort of run the sort of straight math right but i think more and more people are are understanding and sort of waking up to much much more than just you know comparing a price of a bike over a certain period right so that's um, it's important yeah and take me through the company journey so you obviously you started with three founders you've now built your first team i imagine to, to help get this out the door um where is you know how like what's the size of the team that you have in berlin and then i assume you have 
How, how does your manufacturing work? How are you thinking about your vehicle sourcing? Yeah, we're over 50 people right now. Um, we About a year ago, we decided to go fully remote uh, with the company and we're now sort of remote first. Our, our headquarters, if you will, are based in Berlin. Hardware team is mainly in Berlin, but the rest of the organization is, is sort of starting to get pretty distributed in a sense, mostly Europe. And we, yeah, we started small, but pretty immediately got into sort of R&D with the hardware. We had a small hardware team. We're working with a manufacturing partner in Taiwan uh, for the first bike. And, you know, we did all of this during the pandemic with all of the sort of (laughs) madness that has been going on, obviously, in the bike supply chain and logistics and all of that stuff. And we did it within the space of a year. So we're actually pretty proud of that. you know, in, mm. in, in the times to what of what we achieved. I mean, I think what's great about building a bike as opposed to maybe something else is that, of course, there's this very sort of capable supply chain already there. And there's a bunch of, you know, components that you can use and integrate. So you don't have to kind of like invent all of those pieces yourself. So, so it's been a journey and been learning everything about hardware. And that's, of course, the biggest biggest learning for me has been the whole the whole hardware side of this business been super fun like we've been enjoying it tremendously like it's been a great journey and yeah i mean that's that's sort of roughly the journey at the high level in the meantime we have sort of all all the aspects of the company right so operations and and marketing and and you know finance and people and like all of these other functions as well but i think the maybe the core of the company is really we have a strong hardware team and a strong software team and yeah. that's what we've been building up yeah, awesome. I would love to hear from your perspective, like that transition from obviously being a software guy to being hardware and how that transition has been. Because you, as you mentioned, it's sort of, you learn things about how to do that. It, you know, that, that isn't always necessarily a hard transition, but you mentioned you trained as an engineer. So is that correct? Yeah, yeah, no, that's correct. I would recommend any entrepreneur to start a company a second time, right? Because it's it's a lot less anxiety sort of when you know how it works and, and you have done it before. So that has been, you know, in some ways been, been great. I think we've been able to do more in a shorter period of time than, you know, certainly than we did in the early days with, with SoundCloud, for example. So, you know, it's been this fun combination of a lot of things that we do know how to do and, and a lot of things we don't know how to do. And so that's been, you know, I think that's been a great, great combination. It's been super fun. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Of the R&D team that you've, was there like a lot of engineering capability or talent that sat in Berlin for developing these bikes? Or did they have, I mean, is it, I assume there's a fair amount that's in Germany and, and in kind of in wider, but. Yeah, um, I mean, Germany certainly has a ton of these hardware and engineers, right? So not necessarily from the bike industry, right? So we've been looking at automotive, at aerospace, a bunch as well. And we have obviously been hiring from outside Berlin as well. But it's, I think, not unexpectedly, right? It's been much harder for us, especially in the beginnings, to hire in, in hardware versus software. So our software teams sort of grew pretty quickly and it's a, it's, you know, it's a great team and they've been, yeah, it went fairly smoothly as one would have expected maybe for us with, you know, having, having a software background and a network there. But in the hardware side, it was yeah. definitely tougher in the early beginnings of it. But now mm-hmm. I think we've, we're like in a good place and things are pretty good now already, so. Awesome. I'd love to shift the gears a little bit and ask questions about fundraising and what that journey's been like for you. Obviously, you're coming in, you're a second-time founder, you're looking at this space, and micromobility has obviously been through a almost like a boom and a bust before you even arrived, or it was kind of busting at the time that you, that you arrived. Like, how was it to raise for that? 
Yeah, I think for us, like coming out of SoundCloud, right? We we raised over half a billion for SoundCloud, and we spent you know over ten years talking to venture capitalists and people investing. And I think, I mean, having also done a number of investments myself over the last decade, I feel that this is one of our strengths, right? As a team, we know how to do that, and we had. You know, I think we had some momentum sort of coming into it. We knew some people we really liked to work with. And so it's been not hard <laughs> for us, I would say, yes. to raise capital thus far. I think, you know, like yeah. this begins now, right? Like now we have launched. Now we need, you know, to have customers using the product. We need to have some numbers and, you know, prove, prove that out. And only then, you know, can sort of things, you know, truly go to the next step, right? So all of the... You know, the, the money we have raised essentially has been pre-product, right? And it's been yes. about, for us, it's been, a lot of it has been finding mission-aligned investors, right? So, and, and that goes for, like, we want to build a strong brand here. We want to build a movement around this brand. And one of the things we have done is we have brought a number of individuals on board. We actually have over 50 individuals on the cap table right now as well. And those are some, you know, mm. exceptional people, and it's it's a very diverse group. We actually spent a bunch of time going and finding finding these, you know, very special people who can help. And it's not only your typical business angel; it's you know, Maisie Williams, is you know, known known as Ira Stark from Game of Thrones, and Will I Am, you know, a bunch of other kind of unexpected people like that. Boyan, who wrote yeah, I, I did. I love that part of the story when I was reading reading up on on the company and just how. Uh, I was like, these guys are like cool, you know, like <laughs> they know, they know cool people, <laughs> not like the rest of the micromobility nerds over here. It's really neat, but also as well, it, I think it also speaks to the cultural movement of what you're building, right? Which is people want to work out how to reduce their carbon emissions. It's cool these days to work, want to do that. And you want to be able to culturally align yourself to that sort of stuff, putting yourself in the, you know, alignment with people who totally think like that. And I mean, and this, this, this culture, is, I think is really important. Yeah, totally. I mean, this is this is a movement. This is a global movement, right? And this change needs to happen. And we want to spark that movement. We want to help to accelerate the transition. And we're going to use a number of ways to do that. But one of the ways, right, is to have these people who, you know, have a large fan bases, right? Large followings and, you know, who can inspire others, right? So that's that's really the, the thought here. Mm. I just want to finish up on that topic around fundraising. So I hear you. It was easy. How much have you raised today? We raised over 35 million euros to date. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the current, yeah. Yeah. It's been super interesting watching you from afar and I hadn't I haven't we haven't met until to just now. Given how challenging the space has been, I remember when it was a thing where, you know, it was a bit of a challenge for people to raise like 5 or 10 million for a hardware game, for a hardware space just for even if e-bikes uh, watching, you know. Van Moof managed to obviously do well in that in that space with a lot of its crowd crowdfunding and Swapfields in the same in the same boat, but over in the US, it was really interesting just watching how few VCs really got it. And I think it's you know, a testament to your fundraising capabilities and, and also just the changing kind of scene and acceptance of e-bikes, I think is really speaks to, to, to you and, and what you've done. There. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the macro trend, I mean, just to come back to that, right? I mean, it's just, it's an incredible sort of growth that we're seeing, right? And just adoption of e-bikes in the world. And then, you know, add to that subscription and then this general imperative and, every, and everything that's going on in cities. And it's sort of high level. It's just, you know, this is going to be big, right? Like, so so if you can realize that and if you can tell the story around that, like it, it makes sense, right? So, yeah. 
obviously you're at the intersection really of building a vehicle that works in a place like Berlin and, and that sort of stuff. But there's a lot of places around the world. Like, and I'm from, you know, I'm from New Zealand, lived in the States, a bunch of other places, but you know, our urban form is nothing like Berlin. Right. And, and I can see, you know, I asked this question of uh, most micromobility players, which is what, at what point do you think it's the place of players like yourself to get into the game of influencing and talking about, for example, I mean, I know it's super boring, but like build more cycle lanes, make it, make it possible to be able to have a nice, more livable city that your vehicles can be used in. How do you see dancers role in that at this stage or going into the future? I mean, I don't think that's boring at all, to be honest. I think that's really exciting. I mean, that the prospect of being able to, to affect change like that is, is hugely exciting to us. And I think we do have those ambitions. We are, you know, we're just a small startup at the moment. Like we're, we're just, you know, <laughs> trying to get our first customers, you know, to have a great experience. But, but, you know, we certainly have those ambitions and we have been making some ties to people running cities and, but it's, it's very early. And I mean, I, but I, I would say watch the space. I mean, I think we do want to work in this, in this space as well. Yeah. 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 Awesome. One thing that you noted that I found was really fascinating is that you're remote first or that you've taken the company remote first, at least. How does that work for like, it kind of makes sense for me in a software game, but like for hardware, obviously it feels like there needs to be a bit of a lab. You need to be able to be interactive. It's sort of more tangible. How has that part of the business worked? And then like generally, how has it been hiring staff in this, in this period as well? Yeah. I mean, I was, I used to be sort of all heads on the one roof kind of person, right? Like SoundCloud was... You know, we did have multiple offices and there was a bunch of travel and stuff and there was, you know, working from different offices. But I worked, you know, I could count the days that I worked purely remotely at SoundCloud, on, you know, over the course of more than 10 years on probably <laughs> on my, you know, in one hand. Right. So it's definitely mm-hmm. been a big change for, for me and I think for, for a bunch of us. I, I personally love it and I think it has a bunch of benefits for how we work as a company. And, you know, our ability to hire and, and source talent, right? And that the fact that you don't, we don't have to relocate everyone to Berlin or elsewhere is huge. So the talent pool opens up. I think, yeah, I mean, there are some constraints, right? Like in local operations, you have to be on the ground, you know, <laughs> doing the operation. If you, you know, if you're doing the, the hardware, yes, like it's surprising how much you can actually do like remote, right? So you know, a lot of what we do in hardware is, is remote and it works surprisingly well. But then, of course, yeah, we do meet in person. We do have, you know, sessions looking at models and things like this. So, of course, we have a component that's in person. But I was amazed at how much you can actually do remote, even in, in hardware and design. Mm, mm, fascinating. One of the companies that I do some work with is a company called Nimbus. They're trying to build an electric three-wheeler, so a tilting three-wheeler that's fully enclosed. The team, the engineering team's in Detroit. The designer is in Italy and the manufacturing team's in China. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> it's like, it's a fully remote, like, from the... Get- and I'm like, this blows my mind, you know? You couldn't have done this even five, yeah, three, five years ago. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, all the workflows around, you know, brainstorming and 3D. I mean, 3D today and, you know, these, you know, Miro boards, you have just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of sketches on, on one page and you can just, you know, zoom in and out and you have like 20 people looking at this thing. It's, it's pretty amazing what has, has happened there over the last few years, right? Like in terms of collaboration and all of these things. I mean, it's a different world. Yeah, yeah, marvelous. And look, I want to finish up with manufacturing because obviously you're a bike manufacturer at the end of the day. You're still manufacturing your own bikes. You have 
mentioned that you're doing from Taiwan at the moment. So you didn't have any bikes on Suez, uh, stuck in the Suez, did you? <laughs> we didn't, but I mean, it was close, honestly. Like it was, poof. it's, yeah. And that's an interesting new component to, you know, to the business, right? It's sort of watching global, lo global logistics kind of constantly, right? Like to make sure things actually appear where, when they should. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how has it been? I mean, obviously, Taiwan's still and I actually, I'm going to put a shout out to anybody here who, who's listening to the podcast and can connect me to folks in Taiwan to talk about this, because it's just so fascinating, like that Taiwan has just nailed the e-bike or general bike, but specifically e-bike manufacturing. Like that's the only place in the world everybody seems to be manufacturing the, the kind of the more premium versions. Totally. It's the Silicon yeah. Valley well, of bikes. It's Taichung. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. And so, so talk me through, like, did that become very clear early on when you were like, okay, we're going to build a bike? It was like, oh, okay, we're going to go, <laughs> clearly we're going to Taiwan? Yeah, I mean, this was essentially us exploring, talking to a number of folks. And eventually we, we landed on, you know, working with, with someone on the ground in Taiwan, with a manufacturing partner in Taiwan. And, and yeah, I mean, it's been great, honestly. And it's, it's been a great learning experience. I mean, I can't go into a huge amount of detail on, you know, exactly how we're doing things. But this is, yeah, at the high level, that's, that's how we're doing it. We're obviously going to learn a lot more about this over the next few years. And, and I mean, who knows exactly what the setup will be once we, you know, have a bigger scale and, and all of these things. The, the sub-suppliers are, you know, still some of them are in, are in China and other parts of Asia. But yeah, that's where the whole manufacturing and assembly is is happening and then they get you know the bikes get loaded on containers and and, and arrive in in rotterdam and you know, eventually to berlin marvelous except well look you know we're right about times but i just want to say thank you like this is such an interesting chat and as i said when i first came across dance i was like this is i want to get the story eventually and i it's, it's taken me a little while to convince you guys to let me interview you but i thank you for giving me that opportunity and, and to have you tell your story and i'm looking forward to hopefully having you up on the stage in berlin at our next conference thank you it's been a pleasure awesome <laughs>